GM, GM, everyone. Thanks all of you for tuning in today for the first episode of Carlos Podcast. All right, so I'll take a couple of minutes to talk about the, the plan for, for the show. This is the first episode. And yeah, I want to share a bit of the intention and why I'm creating this uh, podcast slash Twitter space. So in a nutshell, I think it's very meaningful and the best way to learn from the creators in the space is to have live conversations. So I will be hosting interviews and discussions with artists, creators, collectors, community members, and different players in the digital art world. And again, the goal will be to, to learn and understand what's happening and what comes next in the digital art movement. So you can expect discussions about art, art process, inspiration, also markets, what's happening in the markets, new products and new trends. So we'll, we'll also see how it evolves over time. We might change a bit here and there, but that's the main goal at the moment. And in terms of the format, I will be doing these Twitter spaces every Monday. I would like to keep the schedule flexible but the plan is to do it on Mondays. The timing might change as well, so we can accommodate the different guests, but you can mark your Mondays at least for the next couple of months. Then after, I will upload the episodes on my Substack, on my Substack newsletter, and also in the different podcast platforms. So you can also listen afterwards if you, if you are not able to join live. If you join live, I want to create a special setup where we can distribute popes, right? So proof of attendance. I'm still figuring out the, the details, but if you want to get the pope for the first episode, you can go in the bottom right and in the chat, you can either reply with a question for our guest today, which is Jordan Lyle. I will, I will get to Jordan in a bit or answer with who will you like to see in the future of the podcast? Which, which guests will you like to see? So if you reply during the space with those two tweets, you will get the Pope for this Twitter space. And all right, so that's a plan. And I'm super excited to have Jordan Lyle here today, who has been a community member of my newsletter for around a year, and he's also a fantastic collector and entrepreneur. He has multiple products in a company called Venture Punk, which I'm very excited to learn more about that. And more recently, he is working on Prohibition Art, which is a new generative marketplace on the Arbitrum blockchain. So, Jordan, thanks a lot for joining. I know it's the holidays in the U.S. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? Hey, Kahlo. Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Congrats on the first episode. Thank you. And thanks again for, for joining. I know it's a long holiday in the U.S. and it's a morning. Where, where, are, where are you based exactly in the U.S., Jordan? I'm in Southern California, Orange County, right outside of L.A., so it's 8 a.m. Monday morning for me, oh, bright wow. and early. Pretty early. You, you got your, I couldn't miss your coffee? <laughs> you have your coffee with you? I got, I got my coffee brewing right now. <laughs> awesome. Great. So, Jordan, let's jump directly into the prohibition. I really want to understand what's prohibition, what's the plan. So can you tell us in, in, in a summary of what you are working on right now? Yeah, for sure. Prohibition is a generative art NFT platform. It's as simple as that. And we've seen a lot of you know, platforms and projects launch in the last couple of months. But kind of the, the twist is, as you were mentioning, it's on Arbitrum, which is an Ethereum layer two protocol. It's also powered by Artblocks engine. We all know Artblocks, kind of the godfather of on-chain generative art. We're using their, their same tech under the hood. And because it's on a layer two, it's, it's fast, cheap, and very inexpensive for artists to release art. 
and we're taking this approach where it's open. So where a lot of generative art, especially on Ethereum, is very curated and exclusive and closed off, we are taking more of an open approach where anyone can use our platform. It's permissionless. And, and we're really focusing on accessibility. We want to lower the bar to create art. We want to make it really easy to release art on our platform if you're a generative artist. And we want to encourage we want to encourage new people, net new collectors to, you know, explore this generative art world. And we launch in just a couple of weeks and uh, yeah, really excited to get this out. That sounds awesome. I have so, so many questions, Jordan, but I know you have been working on this platform for a while. I know there are already artists working on their collections there. I've seen some screenshots. When, when did you start working on Prohibition? The idea really surfaced, I would say, November of last year, so fall of last year. And as, as we'll get into in a bit, you know, my company, Venture Punk, we, we make, we, you know, we're, we're a builder, we're an incubator, we're a product experimentation factory, as I like to call it. So we, we had a bunch of other projects in the pipeline. So though we've been thinking about it for maybe nine, 10 months now, we've really been building for the last four or five months pretty solidly. Yeah, and I, I know I've seen you, you know, sharing different bits about prohibition. <laughs> and, and how many artists are already working on, in their collections, Jordan? You can share that. Yeah, we've got, we've got quite a bit. I don't know the exact numbers. Maybe in the 50-plus range of, of beta access to the platform. Just a couple of months ago, we launched a artist-only Discord. And so we have just around 200 artists and creators in our Discord. I mean, I'd probably say maybe half of that have access to the beta, and we're continuing to roll out access. So we'll have a lot of artists, you know, right out of the gate here, release some, some work. And we're actually teeing up a handful, even though it's a, it's a permissionless kind of open platform, we've we've coordinated with a, a group of 11 artists for projects zero through 10. And in the coming weeks, we'll start to announce who these artists are, but it's a really good mix of artists from people that have already released art, on art blocks, artists that have already released on Tezos, artists that are maybe known for their NFT work, but this is their first kind of venture into generative art. And we're seeing some newcomers and everything in between. That's quite a bit of talent already primed to release on the platform. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, I understand that creating such a platform and building on top of Ethereum, uh, I mean, you need to test everything. So that's the best approach to get access to a few artists and then make sure that everything is working correctly and I, I didn't know you were lining up the first 10 collections that's interesting because usually those tend to be the iconic ones for the sake of being the first the first 10 that's so that's really yeah. interesting if you look at fx hash the the first 10 are iconic because of the yeah the number rgbs mm -hmm. and the logos on fx hash those mm -hmm. are the, the 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 first collections so that's really really interesting and jordan can you take us through the process so let's say i'm, I'm a collector i would like to collect on prohibition so i need to wait until the platform opens but then how does it work because i think many people are, aren't really familiar with arbitrum i, I have used it in the past but I know that you need to bridge some ETH to Arbitrum. So what will be the process? Can you walk, walk us through that? Sure. Yeah, we've got a process for like immediately once we launch. And then we have a process, you know, as we, as we grow. But immediately at launch, the easiest thing to do is to bridge, or the more, most straightforward, I should say, is to bridge ETH from mainnet to Arbitrum. And we'll have... We'll have documentations, we'll have a bridge, we'll make it easy for users to do this. But you're taking, you know, ETH, Ether on mainnet Ethereum and you're moving that over to a new a new chain. It's an L2. It's it's 
it's a lot easier than moving something over from, you know, Ethereum to Tezos. It's really, it's in the same network, but it just happens to be sitting on a different, you know, layer blockchain. And thankfully with Arbitrum, it's, you know, they make it so easy, relatively quick and, and, and cost effective to move Ether over from mainnet to, to Arbitrum. And that's the main that's the main asset on Arbitrum. Even though there's the ARB token that's really used for DAO voting, the main the main asset for the for the Arbitrum network is Ethereum. So you don't have to swap, you just really need to move Ethereum ETH over to, to Arbitrum. And that's it. Connect your wallet to Prohibition and you'll be able to we'll have both primary sales on our platform and they'll happen in the way of fixed prices as well as Dutch auctions. So similar to the other platforms, an artist can choose between a fixed price and a Dutch auction where it counts down and you know the price lowers as, 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 as people bid. And then we'll also, we'll also have a secondary market on our platform. So users can buy and sell right from the prohibition you know, site on, on a secondary. And that's all done using Ethereum on the Arbitrum blockchain. So yeah, first step is bridging. Over time, we'll release tools and, and, and services that make it even easier to be able to buy from you know, any token on any chain or to buy from credit card or bank account. So some of those will, will be coming, coming soon. But the, the most straightforward thing is bridging assets over, particularly ETH, over to the Arbitrum blockchain. That makes sense. I mean, there is this small friction, but the advantage mm-hmm. is that the, basically the gas fees are, are non-existent. It's basically zero, zero dollars to mint and to, to operate once you are in yeah. the Arbitrum. That's, uh, yeah, I once you get over there, it's... Right. Once you once you're over on Arbitrum and you have you have assets, you have ETH. It's it's all it's all very inexpensive and it's 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 very negligible, especially if you're a collector. You know, you're spending maybe a few cents to collect an NFT. Conversely, what I think is really cool as well, and has really been a creative unlock for a lot of the artists that we've been working with, is that as an artist, it submitting. You know, it's a little bit different because I mentioned we're, we're using Artblocks engine. FX hash artists, you know, they know it's, it's very cost-effective, almost free to, to release anything. However, on the Artblocks side, this is all on-chain. Everything is on-chain, so, which means you need to submit your entire script to the blockchain. It literally stores the script in a smart contract. And on mainnet Ethereum... Depending on the, the time of day and the network throughput, you may end up spending a few thousand dollars, you know, depending on the size of your script. You may be spending a couple ETH as an artist just to, you know, upload your algorithm to, a, to the Ethereum blockchain. That's really cost prohibitive for a lot of artists, especially, you know, taking kind of a risk on a new platform. But with Arbitrum, we, we, we ran some early tests and we continue to test and it's really a, a cost savings of 90% to 95%. So we're able to get, you know, versus Ethereum, we're able to get, get those fees for an artist to release on our platform a lot lower and it's still on chain. So instead of costing, you know, several thousand dollars, it's maybe, you know, 30 or $40, depending on the size of the script. So there is still a little bit of a fee, but that's, you know, that's a decision we made. We wanted to make sure everything was stored on chain. And I think there's a benefit of doing that for the, for the long term. But in doing that, you know, it opens up the artist to, okay, I'm not limited to 20 or 30 kilobytes of file size. I can actually expand this. So we're seeing projects that are up to 150 kilobytes, 200 kilobytes, some even up to 300 kilobytes. And they're able to get these these scripts, you know, pretty complex scripts loaded on the on the blockchain for, like I mentioned, five to ten percent of what it would cost you on Ethereum. So artists have been able to just kind of expand the palette or the the canvas, so to speak, 
add in more complicated scripts, add in variables that may only come up every once in a while, add in other other assets, add in you know text, for example, which is very heavy. So it's been been really interesting to see, and I'm and I know we'll be continue to be surprised as we roll this out. Just like now that the artists have so much room for additional components in their script, that it's just, it'll be interesting to see how they how, how they use this. Yeah, totally. And and I can also see the benefits for collectors. So if they mm-hmm. want to collect on the secondary market, the gas fees are lower. Also, if they want to list. So yeah, it's. I mean, it's. There are many benefits of something like that. I I, I see that all the time on Tesos and on FX Hash. That's one of the uh, main reasons why the secondary market is very active. It's more about the volume. In that regard, when you think about FX Hash, there is a lot of volume for collections that maybe don't have a high floor, but you can see uh, collections that are, let's say, pieces, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars. They are moving a lot because the 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 gas is below $1. So I can see that happening on prohibition, which is great because then it opens the door for high, let's say top, how, how can we call it? Like collections with a very high floor moving, but also the, the mid and lower lower collections in terms of the price that we could also see potentially movement there, which is great for, you know, smaller artists or a new artists. So they are not, you know, blocked by the fees and the gas fees, etc. So that's great, uh, Jordan. And I just want yeah. to, before we, we continue, I just want to tell everybody on the space that maybe joined recently that this is the first episode of the Twitter space. It will happen every Monday. And then I will send it through Substack and I will upload it to all the different podcasting platforms. So if you cannot join every Monday, you can subscribe to my newsletter and you can receive it. And yeah, the goal is to have one-on-one conversations and discussions about art, digital art, with collectors and founders like Jordan, but also with artists in the future. So remember the Mondays around this time, if you want to be here live. And Jordan, going, I mean, continuing with the conversation, I'm, I'm very interested in the Artblocks engine. I know you are an entrepreneur and, and, you know, they have this new business model that they have been, you know, sharing and, and adapting for a while, which is mm-hmm. giving the Artblocks engine technology to galleries, to platforms, like in your case. Can you tell me from your perspective, why is that you decided to go with the Artblocks engine instead of building your own engine what, what what's what are the benefits from your point of view yeah that's a good question so we we chose to build on artblocks engine for a number of reasons number one i wanted to get this thing live i wanted to get prohibition live sooner rather than later and by building on top of kind of a trusted secure platform it, it there's there's time savings and cost savings versus having to build something from scratch you know the for, for me, getting getting a solution for artists and creators live in a timely manner was more important than building everything perfectly from scratch. So there's a there's a there's a time component, and then it's it, it's by by attaching us by attaching us to a big you know well known brand, we get, we get the benefit of you know, of a, of a big brand behind us that I think a lot of people are, are seeing the benefits of like, you know, not, not everyone can build on top of Artblocks engine. There is kind of a process to go through and they don't just let anyone jump in and start building. It's more of a partnership. So to partner with Artblocks and Artblocks engine was really important to us because it shows artists and it shows collectors that we're, we're not just kind of a, a fly-by-night organization this is just not just like a side project for us, but this is this is something that we want to take pride in. Artblocks and Artblocks Engine, is they've been amazing partners so far. We're the first Artblocks Engine partner to release on a layer two. When we chose Arbitrum, they they started developing for Arbitrum and we put our you know development teams together and had support for Arbitrum. Uh, we're also the first... Artblocks engine partner to be open. Everything else is very curated. We're the first 
open platform running on Artblox Engine. And we're also the first Artblox Engine partner to be redesigning the artist portal from scratch. Everyone else on the Artblox Engine side of things, they really just use the Artblox tools, which you know they've been around for a couple of years now. So the tech, is, the underlying tech is, is where it's at. That's what we're utilizing. But we're totally recreating the interface and the tools and the testing tools and the you know script management and the IDE, we're making it really easy for for artists and and coders to you to leverage this tech. So it was it was just kind of a match made in heaven. The founder of Artblocks, Snowfro, is also a friend and an investor in my company, VenturePunk. So it just made perfect sense. While we leveraged them originally initially at, at launch, we'll continue to evaluate tools, and there may be other tools that we offer you know alongside the Artblocks engine platform as we think about other ways to leverage this tech and maybe leverage AI and some other off-chain stuff. But we are all in on Artblocks engine, at least at launch. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense from a security perspective, from a time, like time perspective to get things done quickly. And also, I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of, focus on other important aspects of the platform. So the, the engine, the, the yeah. minting engine is very important. And, and of course, for artists, for collectors, but now you can also focus on other experiences. Like you can make it quick and you can make maybe different things for collectors that how to showcase their collection. I mean, I can, I can think of different ideas, but is this something that you guys are prioritizing? So kind of you have the engine there to mint and, and to put everything on chain. What are other pieces of the platform besides the minting, the generative minting that you are working on and that you think people will get excited about? Yeah, we've, you know, you're, you're totally right. We can kind of, you know, there's still been a lot of work as, as mentioned, you know, we're kind of the guinea pig in this case as the first open and layer two project. But by knowing that like the underlying uh, smart contracts and the, you know, the minting engine are, are, are taken care of by such a, a, a great partner and, and, you know, organization in this space. You're right. It allows us to focus on other things. So we've been putting a lot of attention into, ex, you know, user experience overall, both for artists and collectors. I mentioned we, we redesigned the experience. We put a lot of time into, on the artist side, creating an IDE. So it's an online code editor. So many artists are building locally and then pasting their code in on our site. So many of them are using our provided IDE or code editor on our, on our platform. And, you know, we, we really provide a lot of different ways to test, test at different device and different devices, different screen sizes, test across different browsers. We try to make it really easy to really easy to use and really straightforward in how you set up the project. And then as mentioned, we were, we're also launching a secondary market on day one. So you won't have to go to another site similar to FX hash and other, other sites. It's the secondary market is built in, but even outside of the tech. And I've always been, you know, as, as mentioned, just kind of a digital entrepreneur for, you know, almost 20 years now, you wouldn't really look in at anything that I've built and you say, wow, that tech is amazing. But you'd say how oh, that idea is amazing or that community is great or the user experience is great. I think so much so much goes into a product that people love that just goes well beyond the tech itself. Of course, you need great tech and you need under underlying technology and proven trusted tech under the hood. But, you know, design is, has always been important the level of support and customer support and artist support that's given in, in, on social and on, on Discord, the overall vibe and content that we're putting out, the time and attention that we're giving to each individual artist and collector. So for me, it's, it's so important that it's not just like we have so, so much in crypto over the last decade has been, you know, products that are built by developers for developers, right? So everything I've done in this space has really just been thinking about, okay, well, what do I want to see as a non-engineer? What do I want to see? And someone who's been deep into this space, particularly generative art NFTs like myself, 
Like, wouldn't it be great if it was effortless to acquire a new asset or effortless to, you know, for example, view, view all the different outputs or, or, you know, explore the outputs and the, all the attributes of a, of a generative art project. So that's something that we're, we're also rolling out to allow people to, to really explore the, the generative kind of the whole collection. A lot of times you see the initial, you know, you see token zero, but that doesn't give you a good sense of the entire collection. So we want to, we want to help make that easier and provide a lot of sample outputs and, and things like that. We're doing a lot already in the way of like providing content, as mentioned in our, in our discord, it's very artist focused at the moment, but in the, in the next few days and weeks, we'll start rolling out access to collectors and to the public. And we'll continue this, this kind of this thread of providing content useful for artists, useful for collectors, you know, generative art history. We'll do walkthroughs on different tools. In addition to ours, we'll talk about, you know, P5JS versus 3JS. So what, when we say we want to, you know, make this stuff accessible and really lower the bar, it, it it's beyond, you know, the, the, the tech, right? It's, it's also in how we present the stuff and communicate the stuff and who we're targeting. We're trying to be this holistic community for, you know, generative art enthusiasts, which I think, I think can be, you know, for so many more people, millions of people really should be enjoying this, this type of work and this type of tech. So yeah, definitely rambling there, but you can tell I'm excited about just, you know, my, really my vision is to, you know, the fun that I had in the early days of art blocks and Tezos, and I'm sure you can agree with this is just like in the early days, it was just about exploration and experimentation. And we haven't seen this before. And this is amazing. And this is all on chain. And this is a great expression from artists. And, and, you know, especially in the early days of, of art blocks with the squiggles and like, we're just, it was, it was just, you know, under a hundred dollars, sometimes a couple hundred dollars. And it was, it was more about, you know, the love of it and the fun and like the, the chance that you might get something rare. My, my goal is to kind of bring that vibe to, you know, millions of people, many people who are kind of either priced out or just aren't aware of this stuff and aren't able to access this stuff. The goal is to just kind of break down those, those walls and, and be inclusive and uh, yeah, build up this community around generative art NFTs. That sounds fantastic, Jordan. And I mean, from the things you mentioned, I took note on two. First, like community building. And I know you have been building communities. I know you have Skylab, which is a community of founders, which I would love to hear more about. But also another topic that I have here in my notes, and you mentioned the early days of our blogs and, and the early days of FX Hash where it was more about experimenting and, you know, chatting with, with people about art and discovering new artists. And it was pretty accessible. And then the, you know, the, the money values started to skyrocket and the floors. But early on, it's about discovering and both mm. artists and artworks and even a bit of the technology, like blockchain technology. In the case of art, coding, like how are they making these collections? So... With those things in mind, community building in the early days of the generative art, let's call it the first platforms, I think you know how to build this thing. So can you tell us, let's jump first into your art collection, because I was looking at your, at your DECA. No, it wasn't DECA. It was a gallery.so. That, that's the mm -hmm. one you have. And you have... Uh, multiple squiggles and, and you have one from I think it's from day zero that's uh, those are the ones that were minted on the first day I wonder did, did you mint that one Jordan or, or did you acquire that one later on yeah you're right thank you I, I do have several squiggles the day zero squiggle I did pick up after the fact I picked it up last year it was essentially on the floor no one realized that they had a day, day zero squiggle I actually have two day zero squiggles. I have one of the first, I have number 90. So it's a double, double digit. It's a number 90 fuzzy. It's one of the, one of the first fuzzies. And then I also have, I think it's 541. It's the last day zero minted. So I have two day zeros. 
unfortunately, neither of those I minted. I just picked up after the fact, after you know seeing them on the floor, no one realizing that they had something special. And you know, there were a couple that I, a couple normals that I bought early on. I, I didn't mint any squiggles, but I bought them pretty early on the secondary for you know 0. 0.1 or 0. 0.2 ETH. I think either at the end of 2020 or early 21. So yeah, that's been a project that obviously, you know, they're, they're iconic. They mean a lot to people in this space, but for me personally, it was just really my, my entry into on-chain generative art. You know, I, I've been in crypto a long time. I, I collected or I collected, I, I bought Bitcoin in 2013, several other altcoins and things like that for the next few years, but then Ethereum in 2017, I, I minted CryptoKitties in 2017. I, you know, I've been aware of NFTs for a long time and been collecting some one-of-ones here and there and as a product builder, experimenting with NFTs. But it wasn't until 2020 when I really got in deep with, you know, an early project that I launched in August of 2020. So I've been, you know, I've been around for, for a long time and, and it, it really was, it was art blocks and specifically the squiggle that, that really just like was, was kind of a splash of water in the face of like, this is different. This is more than just, you know, attach a JPEG to, to a token. It's, it's more like when we think of long form generative art, meaning that the minter, the collector actually depending on when they mint and their, their particular, you know, wallet as they, as they mint it, it really creates the hash that creates the artwork itself. So that, that was just fascinating to me. And so, yeah, that's been such a collection that, is, that has had an impact on, on me. So I've got, I've got a good, I've probably got six or seven squiggles and that includes the two zeros that I, that I mentioned, I was also part of, I think it was last year or the year before we had a, there was a Venus over Manhattan mint where Snowfro opened up about a hundred to mint. So I was part of that. And I, so I've got a signed frame with a, with the squiggle from, with Snowfro. So I've, I, I, most of my squiggles all have that personal connection and it's been just been so fun to become friends with snowfro and and really to just have that be a centerpiece in my collection yeah that's a, a fantastic history i mean you have been around since crypto kitties you have seen the up and downs of the space what will you tell jordan artists and collectors that maybe are are newer maybe they they joined over the last year or over the last two years and you know right now the space is a bit the, the markets mostly because i still think there are very strong communities I have many friends, I have many readers that are really still around and they are very excited and they are still collecting. But what will you tell those people that are a bit down during these times? So you have been around for, I think you said 2017, maybe before, so it's over six years. So what will you tell them? What's your experience on their, on their, you know, when the, when the times were in the best times? What will you tell those people these days? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I've been around for, for 10 years now dating back to first time getting into Bitcoin. And it's really hard in, in these days, even for someone that's been building and, and participating in this space. It, it's tough when kind of the markets collapse and there is this sense of, of FUD, if you will. But as someone who's been in it for so long, you start to, you start to realize how cyclical it is and to not let your lows get too low and to not let your highs get too high and try to be centered. And, and because it's, it is this, you know, human nature is cyclical. Try to kind of zoom out, take the forest through the trees and realize that, you know, the markets will, will, will turn. It may not be the, you know, every NFT that we've purchased over the last couple of years that, that goes up a ton in value, but there, there will be something that moves forward. So continue to explore, continue to experiment, chase what interests you rather than what you think might be the, you know, the next big thing. 
don't don't FOMO into things. Set aside things that you want to hold on forever. Set aside things that you're willing to let go of. But all this all this is cyclical, and I've been through a couple of ups and down markets now in the last you know decade, and it's it's still it's still tough. But when you know that things will will turn around, it makes it easier to build and take risks. So I, I would just say follow follow what is most interesting to you. Stay curious, especially in these down down times. I would say create. There's probably a lot of people that are really just here to collect and you know buy something low and sell something high, and that's okay. We need we need a healthy market. But I think so many more people should be creators. And by creators, I don't necessarily mean you're a coder or you're an art, one of one artist, or, or I just mean, you know, everyone can be creating value, value for the community, join a DAO or, or discord group or telegram group, create content, you know, create connections, find a coder and an artist and put them together there's so many different ways for people to add value, I think, in addition to actually being an artist or a coder. So I would just encourage everyone to continue following their curiosities and, and just like give back and contribute to this space. Yeah, that that's great advice. I, I like the idea of creating not only art, create value. And there are many ways of doing that. Even like content, you can write, you can create videos, educational content. You can create communities. And, and that takes me to the next question. But before that, just a reminder, we have around 15 minutes left. If you would like to get the Pope, so the proof of attendance is a token for the first episode, you can leave a, a reply in the bottom right. There is a chat icon. You can either ask a question to Jordan or reply with who would you like to see in the podcast in the future? So bottom right, there is a chat icon. And yeah, I was, I was mentioning communities. So Jordan, I know you built a Skylab. Can you tell us a bit about that community? What is it all about? Yeah, thank you. So as mentioned, I've been in, in this space for a while and was in a bunch of communities and there's so much value just with, in being in, on, on Twitter on being in different groups and communities whether it's PFP based or, or, you know, just friends hanging out. I was in a lot of groups, but they were, they were mostly profit driven, right? Like alpha and sharing alpha as a builder, as an entrepreneur, as a product builder, as, as someone who wants to, you know, build in this space, I, I, I didn't have a community to be with other builders. So I launched Skylab last year in May of 22, just as a way of getting people like me together. And that's people that are building, building products, building communities, building companies, building teams. So I, I launched this community called Skylab and it's slowly growing. We've got several hundred members and I like to kind of think of it as like therapy, <laughs> group therapy for Web3 founders. And that's really like once a week we get together on a call. And we just kind of share what's what we're struggling with and or what we need. Hey, I need to hire a smart contract engineer or, hey, I need to do this. And it's just a way to getting like people that are building in the space to kind of lift each other up and help each other take the next step and give feedback on product, give feedback on pitch decks and help people raise. And so it's been a very valuable to me, valuable to just have, have a group of people that I can bounce ideas off of. And a lot of people have found it have found it as valuable. So it's it's been great. It's been over a year now. We've had we've had a number of in person meetups as well. We have educational sessions and spaces and and just try to be a, a resource for you know founders and builders in this space. Yeah, I think that's a great way to you know start something. It's when you when you have a problem and you try to solve it. So in in your case, I think that worked pretty well and i wonder so prohibition the idea you said you were brainstorming about a few ideas for a while you had other ideas in your list did the idea of 
came from this group, from Skylab, and, and did, you, did you also, let's say, partner up with other members to, to create Prohibition? In a way, yeah. So Skylab is our kind of private community of builders. And then VenturePunk is, is my corporation. So they're, you know, one's, one's open and another one is like a for-profit company. So VenturePunk is, you know, a venture venture-backed startup, and our goal is to create different experiments in Web three. We so so Skylab is is a project under VenturePunk, and we've also launched a handful of other NFT projects, including Levels Art and Raccoons and Santa FM. So we've launched a handful of NFT projects in the last year. As mentioned, is kind of one of my one of my biggest passions in this space is is on chain long form generative art. I, I just knew that at some point I'd be doing something in this space in this area, and it, the timing was right to build something a, a generative art platform on a layer two. Like last year, it wouldn't have made too much sense. But now we've gotten, you know, there's there's a lot of activity on Arbitrum. There's a lot of more openness to layer twos and tools and tech and education. So it just felt like the right time to finally throw our hat in the ring and say, hey, we've got an idea of a, a generative art platform. And of course, thankful, thankfully to, you know, investors in VenturePunk and the Skylab community, we had this instant sounding board where, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you guys think? And getting, getting early feedback or here... Here's how I'm positioning it, and they, they're they're quick to give feedback. So it's been, you know, a lot of people talk about building in public. We're we're doing that for sure because I'm pretty vocal. Maybe it's in you know it's on Twitter. I've been talking about this platform a lot. I'm sure people are getting tired of me talking about it. And they want to they want to use it. Whether it's you know in in my investor community or in the Skylab community. Just try to be open and because as you mentioned, you know, building, you know, solving my problem is great. And I, I love building products that solve a need for me, but if I'm the only user, then, then we've got a problem, right? So I love to just talk to other users and other builders and then you only get this over time, but it's like get feedback from everyone, but know whose feedback to listen to and whose feedback to throw out. And that only comes with experience. Right. So you, you, you want to listen to everyone, but then, but then have the context of saying, Hey, I, these, these guys know what they're talking about because of X, Y, and Z. And, uh, and, you know, certain, certain pieces of feedback you need to accept and certain pieces of feedback you need to set aside, but it's always been, you know, everything that I've built has really been more of a communal thing. And, you know, it's been, it's been for a community. So that's, it's, it's a fun way to build. Yeah, totally. I do that a bit with, with my articles and, and with the blind gallery, also building Kalos Space, which is an aggregator for gen art markets. So you can check the hot collections, trending artists. And I try to be very open about it. But as, as you said, there is a, a, it's tricky because you start to get feedback and you need to, you need to be, you need to be to have like a filter to filter the 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 good stuff from the bad let's call it bad stuff but also i've mm-hmm. seen that artists there are many artists that do that they they share their process when they are creating their collections when they are working on their art and they also get feedback one one sort of feedback is through engagement like likes shares retweets comments but then they might get you know feedback to update it or, or to add something and they also it's it's like a it's like an art on itself to how to you know react to feedback and 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 yeah it's interesting that it's a similar thing for creators for builders like yourself and for artists it's a similar thing jordan i have a question here from you know anybody in the crowd if you, if you want to ask questions to jordan you can do that in the bottom right we have a chat icon And Carolina has uh, some questions for you. Uh, First, she says congrats on the launch. And she's asking if Arbitrum is greener. Is is it a green blockchain? Can Can you tell us a bit about that aspect of Arbitrum? Sure. Yeah. 
you know, for the last couple of years, that, that's always something that people think about because Ethereum was proof of was proof of work up until last year. I would say it is it is greener just in the mechanism that it, it uses proof of stake. So it's definitely greener than than mainnet Ethereum, even though mainnet Ethereum has come a long way. Yeah, a lot less infrastructure needed. Obviously, as as proof of stake, there's no you know there's no computers that need to be running. So it's a, it's a greener option than than a lot of other blockchains. Yeah, so it's it, it's almost like a given. Like anything that we build now is going to be is going to be green and there's always going to be improvements and there's always still kind of like carbon offsets that we can do and there's always there's always room for improvement but it's the greenest option that we have at the moment yeah it makes sense right and and ethereum they made this the the what they call the merge yep. few months ago so it's a it's a green solution what's not green or very green at the moment is a bitcoin that there is a big argument about ordinals but that's a, a topic for for another episode um, another question jordan so people are asking in the in the tweets why why the name prohibition for an open platform <laughs> yeah i I, th- I thought it was i thought it was interesting we're calling it prohibition which means to stop somebody from doing something but the whole idea is that it's an open platform i kind of like the that we're flipping it it's on its head the word for a, a few reasons and you know i i, I like the I, I really like the ability because just when you name something and and people have a question about it it it, it gets in people's heads and it causes them to to look into it I wanted to do something different and i've, I've always been a fan of brands and branding so i, I pay a lot of attention and a lot of resources in terms of coming up with with a great brand and for me it really fit the vibe that we were going for in terms of it's a little bit for those of us that went through you know u.s history we we learned about the prohibition in the 1920s and 30s which was banning the sale of alcohol so many international listeners may not may not be aware of this era in the in the u.s 100 years ago but there was this time where alcohol was illegal and it was called prohibition and it was you know it was law got federal law that you couldn't that that banned the sale of alcohol and you know 100 years later we we kind of laugh at that but the vibes that were created the culture the style the creativity that came out of that period both in art and music and culture it evokes kind of this this style there was this kind of system of underground, what they called speakeasies, which was like underground clubs that you know people would people would participate in. So it's really this this kind of you know it it evokes a style for a lot of people. It's very underground. It's very counterculture. It's very punk, which is another thing that I liked about it. Uh, so it it really. It speaks to, you know, our ability to open something up and make something available that up until now is really just reserved for ETH whales and for, you know, a small percentage of artists that, you know, make the curation list or pass the curation board's approval. We, we, you know, intentionally flipping this word upside down to show that, you know, this should be open, this should be an accessible platform. And yeah, that's it. It evokes a lot of different things for some people. And the goal is really just to be, is to really stand out and be open and, and accessible for, you know, many different people. Yeah, I love when there is a big concept behind a name and that, that makes a lot of sense. Jordan, we're getting close to the hour. I know it's very early there in California. I really appreciate your time for being here in the first episode one last question, and we wrap it up. So, is it all? So, the goal for prohibition, the, the vision, will it always be generative coded art? That's another question from the audience. Or do you plan to, in the future, maybe include other forms, other forms of digital art? Yeah, great question. You know, the vision extends beyond generative art. I would say later this year, we'll get into off chain assets and data so at launch it's primarily or it's exclusively on-chain generative art 
our Blocks engine has this this feature called Flex, which allows you to maybe take in a photo or take off-chain data, take weather data. So we're going to be exploring that down the road. And we've had a lot of creators ask about AI and generative AI and other tools. Look, my goal, my vision really, and all of us at Prohibition really want to turn more collectors into creators. It's cheesy, but I say, you know, the vision is to put a paintbrush into more people's hands because I want, I want to show, you know, no matter your, your, your artistic background, your, no matter your, you know, your coding strengths, you can create. So I want to, like I said, lower that barrier and there'll always be a place for generative art for on-chain generative stuff. But, but we, we definitely want to, again, you know, work with the community and listen to our creators and, and collectors to determine what comes next. So, you know, no official announcement yet on what's to come later, but we're, we're definitely open-minded of, of other things outside of generative art. Right. There is also, you know, with AI art and the, like the intersection between both mediums, I feel like there is room for a lot of stuff happening there. Yes. Um, yeah. All right, Jordan, again, thanks a lot for your time. It was a really exciting conversation. Also, everyone that tuned in. I think we did great for the first episode. I think it was over 60 live participants. And if you couldn't listen to the whole thing, I will be, you know, this is getting recorded and it will be distributed through my newsletter and the different podcast platforms. So you can check out my newsletter at calo.xyz. Awesome, Jordan. Thanks for being here. And I'll see you all next Monday. Thanks, Carlo. Thanks Have so much for one. having me. Honored to be guest number one on your podcast. Congrats and, and good luck. And I, I've just been a fan of, of yours for, for a long time and paying member for a year. And I'm just, just honored to be on your podcast. Excited to be part of your community. So just thanks so much. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to see Prohibition Live. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be waiting, Jordan. <laughs> <See you soon. laughs> me too. All right. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye-bye.